Hey, Debbie. Hey, Susanna. How's it going? Really, really well. Long time no uh, lead co-hosting a podcast. I know it's been a couple of weeks because we uh, we got all calf caffeinated. Caffeinated, <laughs> yes. The cl- <laughs> that's like like a great like dad joke, mom joke for just the sun commoners. <laughs> calf is yeah. what we affectionately call the Climate Action Film Festival. Yeah, and it just ran for a couple of weeks in March, right? Yeah, we had the March 16th and 17th for the premiere events, like the live streams, uh, which were awesome. And then for about another week and a half, we let ticket holders and then folks who like missed out on the actual live event to donate for a ticket and just check out all of the content. And it was really great. We had like hundreds of people tune in from around the world. We raised thousands of dollars for the beneficiary partners. That's New York Renews in New York and 350 Vermont in Vermont, two awesome groups doing real climate work in our states where we operate. Uh, it was really cool. Did you did you catch, I mean, you were, I know you were like introduced one of the nights, but did you actually happen to catch it live, Susanna? Of course, yeah, I watched live <laughs> both nights. I nice. don't, I don't miss uh, the Climate Action Film Festival because it's such a nice, I wanna call it antidote to like most of the other environmental films that come out, which mm. You often leave pretty enraged uh, <laughs> after seeing an environmental film. You're like, why is this happening? What can I do? I will never use a straw again. <laughs> um, but they tend to be kind of bummers as well. And right. the Climate Action Film Festival is focused on exactly that climate action, mm. usually by communities or by individuals all around the world. And it's just so inspiring to see people taking action to fight stuff and getting things done and making progress. And of course the issue, you know, the larger issue at hand, climate change is a bummer, but it is just so inspiring and uplifting to see people taking action. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well said, Susanna. I I totally agree with you. It's like, I got to give, you know, lots of credits to our like selection committee um, who kind of go through over 200 films to wheedle us down in this case. uh, This year was 10 short films over the two nights. And yeah, I loved like, not just the inspiration of the action, but also I felt like this year, at least for me, one major theme was how accessible that all, like all the sort of actions felt. Like last year were incredible films as well, but there were so many that were kind of beyond the types of actions that I might take in my own life. Like I'm not a water defender in, you know, Canadian like tar sand country. I'm not like fighting to protect indigenous homelands that have been stripped of me or are being sort of encroached upon by the oil companies and by the government. So like it felt kind of inaccessible and like like important, but like I couldn't grok it into my own life. But the films in this year's selection felt kind of more immediate to me and more accessible to me. So that was also a plus uh, for me. And I had the honor of being able to like host one of the conversations that we had with uh, a couple of the directors of one of the films and the subjects. And to me, it's like, it's such an honor, but also such a, it's such a wonderful experience to sort of be humbled by people doing the work itself. So yeah, successful festival. Um, And now we're back. We're back to the Solar Spills solution season and i'm really really excited to jump back in we're about like halfway through uh the solution season Susanna, do you want to like refresh the listeners on sort of the rules of the game sure so each episode we take a look at a potential solution we talk briefly about what it is we talk about the potential impact it could make which also usually means we talk about the scope of the problem to begin with uh we talk about its timing and its cost, 
and then any kind of X factors that mm. we've left out. And then we try to give it a grade. So, right. so far we've talked about sale freight using the fed to, um, put some kind of financial solution behind all of this using regenerative agriculture and then carbon capture and storage. We've right. gone through those four topics. We've assigned them each a grade based mm. on what we chatted about. So, so yeah, as a, as a sort of review, we're at the we're at the midterm, shall we say, for this for this year of the solar spill solution season. And sale freight, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, got a B minus. I think there were a lot of real advantages to a total conversion, or at least a majority conversion. And really, the cool sort of takeaway for me as a non sailor was like, oh yeah, like this is basically like a new fancy technology solution that's kind of going back to the roots of where sail, you know, sails and wind power were used to power so much of the global uh, naval fleets uh, for trade. So I thought that was really cool and B minus, like, I mean, it would really completely, not completely erase, but like so severely cut down the carbon emissions of that industry. It felt like a really good solution. The Fed, uh, the Central Bank of America, we found that in our research that the Fed has been propping up the oil industry through a lot of the worst sort of economic downturns of the pandemic period and slightly before. And we really thought that if the Fed could do like a uh, like a really hard line approach and cut the oil industry off, as well as create a less favorable environment for other parties to go in and invest and kind of keep them afloat, it could be a pretty potent stab at that industry, uh, which really does need to shrink as a part of the sort of global solution. So we gave the Fed a B minus. There were some X factors kind of that got us excited and some X factors that were standing in our way. So the Fed was kind of a B minus. And regenerative ag, you want to talk through regenerative ag, Susanna? That has been our favorite so far. Highest mm -hmm. scoring with an A minus. That one is just so straightforward. It uses natural systems that already work to capture carbon. <laughs> um, it had a pretty uh, convincing sort of impact number, which was that it could more than take care of the problem it was trying to uh, impact. And it was already happening. So um, that one got an E minus, yep. followed quickly by our first <laughs> F. Our first F. I did not even think we would be so harsh when I was like going about doing the research. But yeah, tell us about our first F. I'm sorry. It, yeah, it 100% gets an F. And I feel vindicated that we gave it an F because like two weeks after we did that episode, there was a bunch of other people in the media making the same kind of arguments of like, yeah. we shouldn't even be funding this. This is yeah. stupid. Yeah, absolutely. Carbon capture technology and storage was essentially the try hard fail uh, way of going about something as cool as regenerative agriculture, where it's like, uh, we've got this existing technology called like regenerative agriculture that captures carbon in the soil, or you can get these incredibly pricey, terribly inefficient systems that are essentially just recycling like oil outputs and shoving them back into spent oil mines to try to extract even more carbon. Yeah, Plus, it like only this... continues to support the system of Ex fossil fuels. Exactly. Plus the storage, uh, the actual storage part of the <laughs> carbon capture and storage technology is completely unproven. But like, we don't even know how risky it is to be injecting stored carbon back into saline deposits in our... It just sounds almost as bad as fracking. It's pretty horrible. Anyway, so that got a big fat F, which brings us to our latest episode. We're again about halfway through. So Susanna, what are we going to be talking about today? Today we are talking about transportation. Ooh, transportation. So let's get right into it. Let's do it.
I feel like we should have a soundboard for this episode <laughs> with like lots of like beep beep and like rum rum. <laughs> We'll get we'll get my boy. Actually, we'll probably hear my kids at some point running around because it's like right before their quiet rest time. But they will do sirens. They will do truck sounds. They are kind of obsessed with everything that runs on wheels these days. Well, and that's how we get around the world. So, (laughs) you know, most of us, we don't work next door to our homes. We don't shop next door to our homes and our families aren't even very nearby for most of us. So we have to get around. We have to move around the world to do what we do. And the average American is driving almost 15,000 miles a year, more than more than a thousand miles a month. And we just have to do that because we don't live lives that are super local anymore. You know, it's not the, not the medieval. I tried for this episode to research how far a medieval peasant would have traveled around day to day. Oh my gosh. I couldn't get like a mile figure, but it was like, well, you can walk a mile in about 20 minutes. So (laughs) you walk an hour somewhere and an hour back, you've traveled six miles. Right. And a peasant's not really like, can't afford like a pleasure draw horse or anything. It's just sort of like, you got your own two feet. Yeah, where you're, where yeah. You're so that's like it's less than 3000 miles a year. Wow. So we are traveling, you know, almost five times more and certainly not on our legs. Right. No, we're, we're using fossil fuels to get around. Almost half of our daily trips are taking for shopping and errands. About a third are for social and recreation. Another good chunk is for commuting. So hmm. we're traveling a lot. And most of that traveling is being done with fossil fuel powered cars. In some cases, it's fossil fuel powered trains or buses um, because you and I are in New York and many of our colleagues and listeners are in Vermont and uh, where we are in New York in the Hudson Valley and most of Vermont is mostly car transportation. That's what we're going to focus on mostly here. That's fair. Yeah, totally is electric vehicles as opposed to internal combustion vehicles. There are about 19 EV models right now with another 18 or so expected to be introduced in the next year. They are super efficient, way more efficient than gas is actually at powering because 80% of the battery can power the car. Whereas in gasoline is way less efficient. Like hmm. a lot of the energy of gasoline is lost in um, the burning of it, like just to heat and to other things. Um, so it's actually even more efficient. And of course, if you power it with solar, not only are there no tailpipe emissions, but there are far, far fewer emissions in even generating the energy to begin with. It is kind of crazy because, you know, I'm I'm actually, this is not even a humble brag. This is like empathy for my neighbors who are dealing with ridiculous utility charges at home, but then also gas prices that are being obviously skyrocketing at the time of recording, mainly due to the the sort of combination of inflation at home and the Russian invasion of Ukraine. I feel for folks because it's like I'm driving around in this electric car, this electric company car, even if I roughly calculated what a full top up would be of my battery for my home solar system, it's like four to six dollars. And like to fill our old ICE car, which we're barely driving anymore because it costs us like 80 bucks like a week if we actually drove it the way we were driving it before these prices went up. Like it's unsustainable for I'm sure for a lot of American families right now. Sorry, little personal anecdote there. Yeah. It's uh, painful. Thanks for rubbing that in. Sorry, sorry, uh, sorry. It cost I... me fifty dollars to fill up my car, and I get thirty miles a gallon. Yeah, you have which an efficient car. Look, seriously, I will carpool. I will be your chauffeur. Just let me know where we're going. All right. Yeah. 
We yeah. might have to. <laughs> seriously, seriously, that's unlivable. So let's talk about the impact this potentially could have. So what this, what's the scope of the problem? In the yeah. U.S., about 29% of our greenhouse gas emissions are from transportation. Whoa. That's all transportation? That's not just people driving their cars. That's, right, right. that's every transport there is. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so if we, let's scooch that down. To what we're <laughs> sure. about. Okay. 58% is light duty vehicles. Mm -hmm. So that means only about 17% of the greenhouse gas emissions are from cars. That's nothing to sneeze at though. That is a lot of greenhouse gases that we're It's producing. big. I mean, that's yeah. almost a fifth of the US greenhouse gas emissions are from people driving cars, yeah, everyday people. But what is the actual impact? Because we talk a lot about the first step in the solution is to use less, not to buy something new. And that's kind of what we're advocating for here because you can't really get an EV secondhand. There are some, but there's, it's not like buying an ice people secondhand. So what we're talking about here is encouraging people to go out and buy a mm -hmm. new mm -hmm. electric vehicle. And that seems like the opposite of what we have advised on many of these. Why would we buy something new here? Because there's a huge CO2 impact to making new stuff. Right, right. Of course. Okay, so I dug into this and I found some interesting research because other people have been wondering about this too. Mm -hmm. Electric cars do take more CO2 produce or, or their, you know, their production creates more CO2 emissions than an internal combustion engine vehicle does. So just for that initial creation of the vehicle for an EV, it's about 8.8 .8 tons. And for an ICE, which is what we shorthand call gas-powered cars, um, is about 5.6 tons. Mm. So it's a little bit more. I, I might also add in another potential impact cost that we should consider here is that in general, electric vehicles use more plastics in their construction than an ICE vehicle. This is largely due to keep it like they, they do this to keep the weight of the car down and thus make the battery even more efficient but if there is a safe choice that most ev manufacturers can make uh to use a plastic part versus a metal part in an ev they will make that choice so in general this is like not a hard and fast rule across all manufacturers but a safe percentage to throw around is that like in general evs use about 20 percent more plastics than ic so just like to keep that in the accounting yeah that's always yeah. good to remember because plastic is actually a fossil fuel product exactly. we often exactly. don't think of it that way but it is made from petroleum yep Okay, so keeping that in mind, let's think about now how we are fueling our car because we know it's going to be a little bit more to produce the car, but then what happens when we fuel it? So even if you're fueling just with standard electric, hmm. an EV's overall emissions are still lower than an than an internal combustion vehicle. And by standard electric, you mean electricity that was produced in a non-renewable way. Correct. If you're just plugging into the grid and right. it's just being generated by the normal sources, cool. it's going to be about 19 tons overall compared to 24. Wow. Nice. Right. Okay. So it is less, but I think for a lot of people, they assume if I buy an EV, I'm down to zero. Like this is no emissions, nothing. I'm good. And that's actually not the case. Right. You are down, you're, you know, instead of being at 24, now you're at 19 tons. So that is a significant, you know, that's more than a 20% reduction. That's mm -hmm. significant, but you're, there is always going to be embodied emissions within the production of the vehicle. And if you're just plugging it into good old standard electricity, 
there are emissions associated with that in most states. Right. Depending on where your utility is getting its electricity from. However, okay. if you fuel it with solar, if you have <laughs> solar at home or you have community solar, that it's, it's going to be significantly less. If you fuel it with solar, then you don't have any of the emissions uh, associated. So you get back to that 8.8 .8 tons for just the production. So 8.8 .8 tons compared to 24 for the internal combustion vehicle, which is what it costs to produce it and fuel it. That's nine compared to 24. That's that's a really big difference. That's, that's a much bigger difference. Um, it's also not zero, which I think is important to talk about sure. because 8.8 8 .8 tons is still a lot. Yeah, um, sure. That is roughly what 10 acres of U.S. forests sequester in a year. So oh, wow. yikes, you know, I don't have 10 acres of forest in my backyard <laughs> offsetting no, no. that for me. You know, most people don't. So I think this is definitely a solution we should be working on because the systems around us do not support minimal use yet, especially for you and I. Right. Um, there's not great biking infrastructure where we are. The distances are bikeable, but it's not particularly safe. Mm -hmm. um, the, also, the weather makes it very difficult to bike a lot of the year. And we just don't live that close by to the things that we need to do anymore. Yeah, no, it's true. So if we could relocalize work, family, socializing, we could make a smaller footprint. If we create, could create more bike infrastructure, more public transportation, we would definitely get a lot closer to that magical zero. But realistically, with a solar-powered EV, you're reducing your emissions to about 40% of what they would have been, so less than half. And that will be even less once car factories convert to clean energy too. So a lot of the CO2 emissions that are happening in the production of the vehicle are happening because car factories are not yet running on clean energy. God. But as we go down this road and they start to also be solar powered and wind powered and so on, then they are also going to be a lot cleaner and the overall emissions of creating vehicles is going to be smaller. I love that in pointing out the reality that like even EVs, even EVs that are solar powered will have some carbon impact. I love that you're actually kind of giving me some hope here because what I see, I read this almost in like a reverse where I'm like, maybe consumer demand that we're seeing with all these new, you know, 19 models or whatever of EVs that are coming out and then consumer demand that's reacting to the price at the pump and the instability of utility rates then fuels this like big adoption of EV cars. And really we know this um, because this is like a part of what we do day to day. Majority of EVs are charged most of the time at home or at the place of work. Bending my brain around being an optimist here. It's like, all right, all, I'm, a, I'm like a CEO of a company or I'm a facility manager of a company and like all my employees are like signed up to get EVs in the next couple of years. I could see as a purpose-led business or even a not purpose-led business, a practical-led business, you'd be like, cool. So I know that like 80% of my employees are gonna be driving EVs in the next couple of years. I want them, I wanna encourage this behavior and I wanna make this a great place to work. I'm gonna go solar as a business, right? And then I'm gonna basically give folks free charging at work. Bada bing, bada boom, I've also like created a really great kind of environmental, social and governance move for my company. I can see an optimist's read of this that goes from consumer demand to moving business makers to like change their behavior on a corporate level. And I could see this thing dominoing forward in a good way. That's, you know, it's a, it's a positive impact read, but I wanted to put that in there. Absolutely. And I think you're making a really great point, which brings us to timing, you know, oh, sure. which is that this is happening now. We are seeing businesses install the infrastructure just exactly like you said, even at our local grocery store. You know, here we are in small town USA. 
our local grocery store has eight or nine chargers all lined up. I went and stayed at a, a hotel in the Catskills a couple of weeks ago. They had EV charging at the hotel. They're like, That's yes, awesome. our patrons want this. Yeah. And there are so many incentives from the state and from utility companies to install charging infrastructure because many, many people in the states that we're in believe this is the way of the future and it's happening. So this is not something that we have to wait for. It's already started. The prices for EVs are more affordable than ever, which just mean that more and more people are able to get in on this now. Certainly not everyone. It's it's not to the point that the secondhand EV market has a you know $2,000 or $3,000 EV option out there right. just yet. Right. But that probably is going to happen within the next few years. We'll see the trickle down of new cars coming through the secondhand car market and they will just get more and more affordable. Totally. And I could also see like having perused the secondhand market. What I notice is this inventory of this very specific type of like commuter EV, like an EV that like holds a charge that like has a range of like, you know, well under 200 miles is meant to be like a shopping trip facilitator. But it kind of maps to your vision of like buy less is like buy in a targeted and smaller way. My family really, we have very few long trips that we need to make that break the like 200 mile mark regularly. So we could theoretically see ourselves as a second vehicle getting something that's like, you know, like a putz around town thing and be able to buy it used and not put, you know, any more waste into the new vehicle stream and also like buy with the mentality of buying smaller. Yes. I love that idea. Buy cool. smaller. If, if you must buy it all. <laughs> yes. Yes. So the t for timing, it's happening now for cost. It's more affordable than ever. And it's only getting more affordable. So a brand new car, sure. You could spend 80 or 90 K on the top of the line, you know, four wheel drive luxury SUV model, but there's a ton that are more like in the 25K range. And when you include the awesome federal tax incentive on them, you can get them into the teens. Not a brand new car in the teens. That's kind of hard to come by just an ice car. Yeah. Um, and the second hand, there are secondhand vehicles you can get for under 10 grand. So if you're looking for a new car, the switch is totally possible in terms of expense. And if you're looking for a secondhand car, if you can afford one that is a few thousand dollars, they are available. Yeah, yeah, totally. I also think this is one that I want to be careful about being optimistic about, but in terms of timing, it seems like the portions of at least the EV infrastructure spend is kind of being like prioritized in conversations around the existing and past uh, bipartisan infrastructure bill. So it seems like that's going to be one of the highest priorities over the next two years or the remaining years of the Biden administration. Hopefully, you know, that we'll see if not Biden, someone with the same at least capacity for imagination on, you know, the electrification renewables for America. But yeah, it seems like from a timing perspective, this is a really strong window. So I'm, I'm feeling really positive in, about timing as well. So timing looks good. Um, cost is looking more affordable than ever. Yep. Um, in terms of X factors, I mean, this is a pretty good solution. I do want yes. to remind people that we are not taking things to zero. Even if we all had EVs and we were all powering them with solar, there would still be a carbon footprint due to the production of the vehicle itself. Um, but most of the solutions that we have talked about aren't about getting to a zero and even really most of our um, you know, state and government goals aren't about getting to zero. They're just about drastic reduction. And that is what this is. This is drastic redu reduction to about a third of what existing 
ICE vehicles are. Um, and it's only gonna get better if we continue to apply pressure to our car manufacturers to be in manufacturing with clean energy as well. Then that number is gonna come down even more. Nice. So it's not zero, but it's going to get even closer to zero over time. And it is already a drastic reduction. My X factor is just bringing that charging part of the infrastructure bill back in, because I think if we can really see an explosion of charging stations outside of major metropolitan areas, the buyers shall follow. I think that whole sort of positive domino effect, it's an X factor. It can't guarantee it, but I think that'll really help with timing. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing about the charging infrastructure is that it's kind of the only major system that needs to change in order for this to happen. I think that's a major positive. It doesn't require major social change. It doesn't require major behavioral change. We're still going to use our cars to get around like we do now. We're still going to buy them in the same way. We're still going to sell them in the same way. Doesn't require us to move, to change our habits. Um, and it's already happening. Many yeah. of our friends and neighbors are already taking the plunge to do this. Um, so a lot of people are already seeing it happen. Yeah. Um, and that, I don't know, the fact that it's already happening, that's feasible, that doesn't require a lot of change on a major level. It just, it's so feasible. Yeah, totally. I can also just see the like money bloodlust of the like fading fossil fuel and their secondary industries. Like if I were an Exxon Mobil and I already had all of this like real estate for my filling stations, for my gas stations, I would absolutely see an evolution of those stations into spaces where people wanted to spend 20 to 30 minutes while they, you know, fast charge their battery. Like those convenience stores that are already on the premises, the, the very like sunny, unobstructed roofs that many of these gas stations have would be a perfect conversion to, you know, a production site with storage that could then charge vehicles with little to no carbon and also create a good brand experience, you know, where you're like spending secondary money. You're like getting the kids out of the car, you're using the bathroom, you're getting some snacks and hanging out. Anyway, I can see greed also helping facilitate this transition. That's a good thing. Hey, Gordon Gecko, greed is good. <laughs> yes, even the capitalists are licking their lips about oh, this God. one. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, well, and, yeah. you know, I mean, money talks. Yeah. And, you know, in the terrible situation we find ourselves in now with uh, the situation in Ukraine happening yeah. Yeah. and the sort of global supply of oil being questioned and, and disrupted, the prices at the pub are really high right they now. Are. And it, it does cost a ton to fill up your gas car. And people are looking at their electric bills going, well, that's still a little cheaper than the gas. So yeah, totally. I really wish I had an electric car. Honestly, the only X factor that's a negative here is that it's kind of hard to get an EV right now. Yeah. Because there is so much interest. Yeah. I want to, I want to actually, I, I want to circle back to Ukraine. But also, uh, I just read a really horrible article as a potential EV buyer that another X factor we have to consider is potentially the greed of the dealer. There are certain EV manufacturers that are now issuing memos and warnings to their local dealers because they're finding that local dealers are marking up the prices of these EVs that are in such high demand by anywhere from 14 to 25,000. So <gasps> like on paper and by what? law and by MSRP, yes, some EVs should be down to, you know, 
the teens or the low 20s, but the most in demand, like the newest Hyundai or Hyundai or whatever, how you pronounce that? I'm a, a Beck fan, so it's Hyundai forever. Um, but basically like the Hyundai, whatever the new one, like the the local dealers were being um, chastised for basically marking up the price by about 20,000, bringing like a $40,000 car up to like the top of the 60s, which is insane. So that's the next factor. All right, so the other thing that I... Oh, sorry. You're, you, there's a lot of emotions flashing across your face right now. <laughs> Do you want to unpack any of them before I talk about Ukraine and how that's actually hopeful? <laughs> um, I, I really have nothing useful to add in this conversation. I'm just going to go on an anti-capitalism rant and yeah. talk about Applebee's and oh, let's God. Just go there. <laughs> let's just not even go there. Let's just not even. Yeah, there's a Pandora's box that Susanna is respectfully like sitting on to keep closed right now. She's like, nope, not gonna, not gonna over that one. Uh, but I was gonna say, I thought about Ukraine a lot too. Absolutely, the price of the pump is like the, you know, the one of the key X factors right now that would motivate Americans to like ditch their gas guzzlers. The other factor actually got me thinking about the birth of the solar and the wind industries in America, because if we turn the clocks back all the way to the early 1970s. When residential and commercial, like commercial solar and wind started to appear in America, if you look back, the messaging, the marketing of solar and wind, of renewables back then, was all based on oil shortages. It was all based on this concept of energy independence, of energy security, right? And to me, I see that message, that idea of energy security as honestly a salve a final death blow to the idea that renewables are like a partisan or political thing like so much of what we talk about on the solar spill like betrays the fact that like susanna you and i are progressive in our personal politics in like how we show up as humans as we move through this world right but like generally speaking when we look at our clients right our customers of some common in New York and Vermont, it is a completely diverse mix of people. It's like people from every political spectrum, every ideology, right? Like we want to do better to diversify in other ways. We want to show more like income diversity where possible. We have to make solar cheaper every chance we get. But by and large, I love the idea that a message like the zeitgeist right now around energy security and energy independence and like, you know, oil is causing this horrible invasion of Ukraine. I think that that's a way to sort of neutralize the partisan politics around renewables. So it, it's it's an X factor. It's like a zeitgeist hearts and minds thing, but I think it gives me hope that could bring, you know, what seems sometimes to be like a totally divided, partisan divided country, like pol politically divided country together around something that's a critical solution right now. Yeah, I mean, we, yeah, as you say, we know that renewable energy is not a partisan issue. We have customers from all over the political spectrum and yeah, some are motivated by saving the planet and climate change and hugging trees. And some people just want to be independent. Yeah. Um, and some people don't want us to have to depend on foreign oil and, and foreign, uh, you know, governments who set prices for us. Um, and some people I mean, really, that, I mean, really even don't, a, like, don't like their utilities right now, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, even as a progressive, that totally speaks to me as well. Like, yeah. I would much rather grow my own strawberries and make my own jam. You know, why, why not do it with energy? Exactly. Exactly.
Who needs seats for Monsanto anyway? All right, so, okay. So we got a couple X factors in there, but I, again, I don't know, am I, am I being overly optimistic? I feel like even most of our X factors, despite the fact that it doesn't zero out on the carbon front, that there's still kind of a cost to going EV. I still think this is resoundingly positive. Like, Susanna, like in a vacuum, I think we've got potentially another A minus on our hands. Maybe, I mean, definitely a B plus, but I'm I'm kind of pushing towards A minus territory. Yeah, I think it's an A minus. It's it's um it makes a big impact. It's already happening. Yeah, and it's pretty affordable. All right, so individual transportation, right? Like individual vehicle purchases for that, the electrification of that part of the fleet. A minus for solar spill solution. A minus it is. Awesome. I'm ready to go get one right now. I know. Let's go get one. Let's just make sure that our dealer hasn't marked it up by 20. <laughs> Hyundai or Hyundai, however it's pronounced. <laughs> Undon't. Undon't. So that was the solar spill solutions on transportation. Do we know what we're doing next? Do we decide what we're doing next? Well, I think we're definitely going to finally do one on solar. Oh my right? gosh, the day has come. That's right, folks. We thought it would be unfair and uncouth if we didn't put solar, our our very own bread and butter, under the solar spill solution microscope. So Susanna's bravely volunteered to go in and do the research. Uh, so if our bosses complain about the next episode, it's all her fault. Just let them know. You can you can write in your complaints directly to uh, solarspill at suncommon.com. That's right, <laughs> folks. We have an email. <laughs> solar spill. And a few of you have emailed us. I am really happy that a few of you have emailed us. So thank you so much for the few uh, listeners who have who've sent in questions and, and thought starters for us. It's been really, really awesome. But yeah, so next, next week we'll be uh, putting solar under the microscope. And until then, if you are considering going solar for your home or for your business, we are Suncommon. It's what we do. We're quite good at it too. Uh, we're serving the Hudson Valley and capital uh, region of New York. Uh, as well as Vermont. So we're here if you need anything when it comes to solar, when it comes to storage, and we're super, super excited to help. That's suncommon.com. So for the solar spill, I'm Tavit. And I'm Susanna. Thank you so much for listening. 